Today's message can be easily entitled, To Lawyers with Love. <laughs> Sign the Apostle Paul. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is all about suing and being sued and going to the courts and dealing with those issues for believers, particularly of those who are members of one church. In fact, I read about the person who uh, lamented this huge cost of litigation, and um, the way he defined it, he said, it's like a big machine, and you enter into the machine as a pig, and you come out the other side as a sausage. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why the Apostle Paul is taking time to deal with this issue about believers, particularly those who belong to one church, suing each other in the courts, is because most of you will be astounded to know how litigious the Greek society was before Christ. It is amazing to me of how much we in America today are becoming like the Greek or Roman culture before Christ. If you compare our time of the 21st century with the pre-Christ Greek or Roman culture, you will be amazed at the similarities. And I'm not only talking in terms of immorality and the acceptance and, and priding ourselves on the immorality, but in terms of the happy suing attitude. Today, like the pre-Christ Greek culture, people would sue for all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, somebody said, you, you sue on a drop of a hat. And that is why eventually the Greek legal system literally collapsed. It becomes so cumbersome. It becomes so unruly that it collapsed under its own weight. Let me show you how this cumbersome and intricate legal system worked, and you'll understand why Paul deals with this and wants to deal with it, and he takes it very seriously. In the pre-Christ Greek culture, when two people have a dispute— According to the Athenian laws, you basically go to arbitration by three individuals. One is chosen by each one of the party, and then the third one, who will be the the kind of impartial judge, but the agreement of both parties. And they go in front of this jury of three. If this fails, you go in front of a jury of 40 jurors. These have to be 40 citizens who are in their 60th year, so at least they got to be 59 years old. If this matter is still not settled, the case would be referred to a jury of 201. But this is only if the case involves less than $100. If it is more than $100, the case would go to a jury of 401. If that did not work, the case went to a jury of 1,000 people, upward of 10,000 at times. And these jurors were paid three ablon, or really equivalent of two pennies a day. Every man in the Greek culture, every man was more or less a lawyer, (laughs) They spent a great deal of their time either deciding a case or they are listening to a law case. Now, I'm telling you all this for a reason. In fact, the Greeks were so notorious 
for the love of the court and the drama of the court, it became one of the most popular entertainment in the Greek culture. Just think about this. Why do you think there are millions of people in America, but I see it even overseas, always watching the people's court, uh, Judge Judy? That's how much we love the entertainment of watching courts. And yet, our system is nothing in comparison to how litigiously minded the Greeks were. Please think with me. Just think with me for a moment. When the Corinthians became believers, when they believed in Jesus, they brought all of this stuff with them into the church. (laughs) They brought the love for disputes. They brought the love for litigation. They brought the love for argumentation. They brought the love for court drama. They brought it all into the church. Yes, they were saved. Yes, they were born again. Yes, they were believers in Jesus. And yet, they brought their former life with them into the church. They brought their past disputes. They brought their past arguments. They brought their past critical spirits. They brought their past taking advantage of each other. They brought all of the shenanigans into the church of Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul takes time to deal with it and gives us a biblical way by which we must handle disputes, particularly in the one body of Christ, in one church. Not only that, but they took their disputes into the Greek courts. They were airing their dirty linens, as it were, on Jerry Springer's show. But here's something you need to know. All of this stuff was totally alien and foreign to the Jewish community in the Greek culture. They were called Hellenist Jews. The Jews in the time of the pre-Christ who lived in the Greek culture, they never took their disputes to the secular court, to the public courts. They always settled disputes before the elders in the synagogues. To the Jews of those days, it was far better to settle disputes in a family spirit rather than in a legal spirit. To the Jews in the Greek-Christ Greek culture, for them it was blasphemy to go in front of a pagan court. The Jews in those days, it was far better to settle disputes according to the scriptural principle, the Old Testament principle, than to go to a pagan court. However, because these Jewish courts in the synagogues have no authority. Uh, they have authority to do whatever to resolve disputes except for one, and that's capital punishment. They could not do this. That was the prerogative of the proconsul in the Greek or Roman culture. And that is why, my beloved friends, when the Sanhedrin brought false accusation against the Lord Jesus Christ, and they wanted to kill him, they wanted to crucify him, they had to go and coerce Pontius Pilate, because he's the only one who could issue a capital punishment and death, and they crucified Jesus. And here was Paul is dealing with. Some did not like the ruling of the church leadership, and they went to secular court. A pastor was telling a story of how two members of his church were having a, a dispute, and, and he said, would you come in front of two of the elders and, 
and these are uh, a biblically enlightened men, and let them rule. And one of them said, no, you do it on my behalf. He said, all right. He said, would you be happy with the outcome? He said, well, that depends. <laughs> if they rule in my favor, yes, but if they rule against me, no. <laughs> we always talk about we want justice. In reality, we really want mercy. Am I right? We want mercy for ourselves, justice for others, of course. <laughs> it's like the politician who was so angry with his photographer. After the photographer took a picture of him that's going to be in the historic records, and, and he was angry, he said to the photographer, he said, this picture does not do me justice. And the photographer looked at him and said, sir, with a face like yours, You don't need justice. You need mercy. (laughs) Please hear me right on this one. Public litigation was yet another manifestation of their carnality of the believers in Corinth, Uh, their refusal to settle disputes on biblical principles, preferring instead to go to a secular court, is another indication of their immaturity in Christ. Beloved, listen to me. There is nothing that weakens the testimony of believers more than their inability to resolve their own disputes biblically, to resolve their differences in the Spirit of Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk about dealing with non-believers, but this is believers as particularly who are members of the same church. There is nothing that lessens the impact of the church witness more than when it's being filled with gossip and squabbling and complaining and backbiting, and then let all of that spill out in the outside world. Listen, if I was an unbeliever, and I see some of these people, the way professing Christians and the way they behave, I don't want anything to do with that faith. Sometimes Christians deny their very faith by the way they handle disputes. Let me give you an example of an inconsistent hypocrisy. It comes from yesteryears. This is old time. A small town USA. There was a strong church, and there's not a single liquor store in town. Not one. But like all things and development, progress, not only a nightclub, but a tavern, a liquor store opened in that little town. And the believer said, you know, we're not going to sue them because the law says that a liquor store and a church must have certain distance from each other. I learned that personally. But so, because the liquor store was close to the church, the church could have sued the liquor store and won. But they decided that they're not going to do that. They're going to pray. And they're going to pray that God somehow supernaturally take care of that, what they call the den of iniquity. And so they prayed. And sure enough, a few weeks later, a lightning bolt hit that tavern and burned it to the ground. The owner knew about the prayer meeting, so he sued in the court for damages. He said, it's the prayer of these people in that church is what caused me my loss. And that's what his attorney claimed in the court. And so what does the church do? Do they go back to prayer closet like they've done before and seen the hand of God work before? Would they go back to prayer? Oh, no, no, no. By this time, they got 
bigger and richer, and so they hired a big-time lawyer, and they went to court. And their lawyer argued in the court that their prayer had nothing to do with the burning of the tavern. After much deliberation, the judge said the following, It is the opinion of the court that wherever the guilt lies, the tavern keeper is the one who believed in the power of prayer and the church members did not. (laughs) And that is why the Apostle Paul gives the believers in Corinth three reasons why they must settle disputes within the church, inside the church, by godly, biblically enlightened, and biblically illuminated believers. Because not every church has some biblically illuminated believers. But he gives them three reasons. In verse 2, he says, we're going to reign and rule the whole world, the whole universe, with Jesus. And secondly, if you look at verse 3, it says, because we actually will be judging angels. And then finally, he says, a transformed Christian must live a transformed life. It's not enough to say, Jesus is my Savior and Lord. You have to demonstrate that. So let's look at these very, very quickly. Believers will be involved in adjudication of the affairs of the universe for all of eternity. Now, I know, I know, listen to me, I know, I know, I have a hard time comprehending that as much as you do. We have a hard time visualizing what actually ruling the universe with Jesus is like. Beloved, listen, we get so bogged down in the nickels and the dimes of this world that we totally forget that we are actually destined for the throne. Can I get a witness? We get so involved in this world system that we forget that we have been given all the resources of the truth and of wisdom, of justice, of love, of equity, of understanding, of kindness and generosity, so we can resolve our own disputes. When believers take each other to court, they are confessing that they do not have the Spirit of God to guide them to resolve the disputes. When believers, particularly members of one church, take each other to court, they are more preoccupied with revenge or gain or both than with the unity of the body for the glory of God. When believers take each other to court, they are confessing that the Word of God is not adequate to judge between them. Beloved, if we believers… <laughs> are going to reign and rule with Christ, who are going to reign and rule in the whole universe. Surely we can rule ourselves. The Corinthians were not only unable to rule themselves, they were making a spectacle of themselves in front of the unbelieving world. They were airing their pride and their bitterness and their greed and their carnality to the whole world to see. And what kind of a witness is that? Secondly, we should resolve our disputes because we'll be judging angels. Verse 3, look at it carefully. Like so many believers today, and I'm choosing my words very carefully, like so many believers today, I'm not talking about professing Christians, I'm talking about believers. The Corinthians believers did not fully 
comprehend their position in Christ. I want to repeat this. Like believers today, many believers today, the Corinthian Christians did not comprehend their position in Christ, that we will actually have authority over angels. Think about this, because that really boggles mind. And take time to think about it a lot, not just today, because you're hearing it in the message. I hope and pray that you will think about this every single day, maybe many times a day. It is hard to comprehend, I know, because the Bible said that we are made little lower than angels. But because of our relationship with Jesus, because of our position in Jesus, because of our justification in Jesus, because of our sanctification in Jesus, we will be so exalted up high into the place of fellowship with God, which is higher than angels. Think with me. Right now, here and now, God commands angels. He commands them to take charge of us, to protect us, to defend us, to surround us. God is the one who orders them. A friend back in the 80s was into the New Age movement, and she said, well, she prays to her angel. I said, they can't hear you. She said, really? I said, they're deaf? Yeah, they're deaf to you. They're not deaf to God. (laughs) They only hear the command of God. And the Bible said that these are ministering spirits, that God sent them to minister to us. But listen to me. In heaven, we're going to rule and judge angels. In heaven, we're going to command angels. In heaven, they will hear us, and they will obey us. And if that is the case, which I believe it is the case, then any disputing parties ought to keep the ruling of biblically enlightened church leadership and not reject it. By settling our disputes among ourselves, we give testimony to our unity in Christ. We give testimony to our harmony in Christ. We give testimony of our humility before God. By the same token, the opposite happens when we drag each other to court. There are some incidents. Let me repeat this until you all get it. There are some incidents. There are some incidents. I want to make sure you got it. That Christian believers are forced to go before a secular court. We are forced many times. I've seen it. And the apostle, I believe with all my heart, deliberately leaves that wide open, this whole question of dispute with non-believers. Sometimes we have to go to courts to defend ourselves against non-believers. And when that happened, you should not feel guilty. This teaching here is specifically directed to two believers— more specifically, who are members of the same church. You've got to understand that, because otherwise you're going to be filled with guilt, false guilt, that has nothing to do with what the Scripture is teaching. Ah, but when it comes to divorce, the church sometimes has no authority to enforce the ruling, especially if one of the spouses is not a believer. I want to say something. I'm going to ask some of you, please forgive me ahead of time. 
I never, 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 God knows my heart. I never, never, never would want to cause pain or cause an offense. God who judges my motives knows I would never want to offend for the sake of offending. I let the truth do its work. But I am saying this, Michael, your brother in Christ, saying this, not the Apostle Paul, not the Word of God, then I can tell you that it absolutely breaks my heart in two when a husband and wife who have stood before God and a witness of the congregation and say, till death do us part. And when divorce happens, often the husband drags his wife and kids into court to fight for material possession. I am baffled at how any man would drag his family to court to save a few dollars. Jesus said, if your brother asks you for a shirt, give him your cloak also. What does that mean? It means that if you trust in God, He will provide for you more than you have sacrificed. That if you have put your faith in God as your provider, He will bless you with much more than what you gave away. If you seek to glorify the Lord, He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you desire to honor the Lord, He will honor you back. Sooner or later, He will honor you back. If your heart beats with obedience to the Lord and His Word, He will see to it that you will be blessed sooner or later. When you take your brother or sister to court, you lose spiritually before even the case was heard. Why? Because you have lost it in God's sight. You have already suffered spiritual defeat. You have discredited the power and the wisdom and the work of God. So what is the right attitude? Again, I don't have the answers the Word of God does. I would rather be wronged or defrauded than sue my brother in Christ. I would rather lose financially than lose spiritually. I would rather give up some of my rights than lose my spiritual assets, even when I'm clearly and legally in the right For even if my brother wrongs me and refuses Christian arbitration, I forgive him, and I leave the ultimate outcome to God. I leave it in his hand. Paul said, because spiritually it is impossible for the believer to sue his brother or sister and win. It's in the book. I have no answers. Therefore, my beloved friend, ask yourself the question that I would ask myself. What is more important to me, to protect my possessions or my intimacy with God? What is more important for me, for a pagan judge to direct me or for God to bless me? What is more important for me, that the world justice system impose a verdict or have God's favor upon me? That's the question. Let me emphasize this one more time. The Word of God here speaks about initiating a lawsuit against your fellow member of your church. Nothing about the non-believers. Nothing about the non-believers. 
uh, talking about non-believers, I remember clearly as yesterday. We had moved from Shambly in 1982. That was 1982. Just remember that. Uh, we moved from Shambly, went to Dunwoody. We had uh, been in that house in Dunwoody for about a week. And I was walking in the backyard, and, and an old timer was on the other side of the fence. He said, are you the new owner? I tried to be funny, and I said, well, uh, the bank owns it, but yes. He said, good. You're going to get yourself a lawsuit. I said, what for? He said, the fence is one foot in my property. I said, oh, don't worry about that. Let's bring somebody to take the fence three foot into my property. He looked at me, stunned. I can tell you before God, I have never seen that man again for the next six years. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> I've just never seen him again. Paul says nothing about being dragged into the court by non-believers, where we need to honestly, fairly defend ourselves. Why? Because the non-believers are not under the authority of God. Therefore, the courts will resolve our disputes with non-believers. Also, Thankfully, we still have a court system, a law system that is built on biblical principle in this country. Thirdly and finally, a transformed believer must live a transformed life. I know someone said, well, Michael, this is self-explanatory. It is. Look at verses 9 and 10. The reason we live, we must, we have to live the transformed life, not just talk about it, is because the non-believing world, those who habitually sin without any qualms, are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, but you will. They're not going to reign and rule with Christ, but you will. And that is why Paul said those habitual fornicators and adulterers and idolaters and effeminate and swindlers and homosexuals and thieves and coveters and drunkards and rebels— they will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you will. The Corinthian church, or any church, should not be made up of membership from this list who habitually not only sin, but take pride in their sin. And that is why Paul puts that little verse 11 there. It's very significant. Underline it. He says, you once were in the past, in the past, in the past. And what happened in the past must stay in the past. A true church of Jesus Christ should be made up of ex-fornicators and ex-adulterers and ex-idolaters and ex-homosexuals and ex-swindlers, and the rest goes on. <laughs> Beloved, whatever your past before Christ came into your life must stay in the past. The Bible said that He buries our sins into the deepest sea. And it's like Cory Timboom used to say, don't you go fishing for them. And when Satan comes to remind you of your past, you remind him of his future. Paul is saying, finally, do not live like you have lived before Christ came into your life. You have been transformed by Christ. Therefore, Live the transformed life. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. 
If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.